Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic? Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore? This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Hi, welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm Rebecca Kinnestrand, your host. Daniel Dadashi is with me, and we have Pastor Mike Anderson in-house, and I love that. We are following up on our Reformation episode with mm-hmm. more about that because we got a great history lesson, loved it, and now we're going to talk more about the theology, but what we were talking about in between uh, these episodes was, you know, there was this amazing Reformation, I'm going to say 400 years ago, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong on that. Almost 500. Almost 500, yeah. okay. And uh, we're wondering, you know, is it time for a new Reformation? You know, is it time to reform the church again, which I have a whole lot of thoughts about because I feel like the, especially the narrative of Christianity has been stolen by some really loud voices that do not represent necessarily what I believe. Um, but Pastor Mike has written this um, thesis for the 21st century, and I'm just going to go through and read off a couple things that he's talking about here, and then he can expound on it. So, first of all, what is a thesis? What are the 95 theses? What's this? Oh, yeah, good point. Is that a question to me? That is a question to okay. you. So before we talk about reforming it, what was it that Martin Luther said that was so different? Well, I've written about 10 things down here that I think should be happening in the Christian church. And I use the phrase or the, the word theses because that's the word that Martin Luther used. So I'm trying to hook in Lutherans mm-hmm. <laughs> to mm-hmm. pay attention to it. So people who are not Lutherans probably don't understand that. We refer to the 95 theses. Um, those were... Um, statements basically statements of consideration of challenge of debate that martin luther posted on the chapel door at the church in wittenberg that sparked the reformation back in 1517 october 1517 so i simply wrote down a few examples or ideas that i feel we in the church should be talking about and we should be challenging our theology and i call it a thesis a statement of debate um, that I bring to you, the listener, to start thinking about. Awesome. Let's talk about it. So, original sin. Tell us some, so I'm just going to read your first sentence here. The church has traditionally defined the human predicament with the doctrine of original sin, meaning we are corrupt, rebellious, sinful, and evil by our very nature. So, Tell us how we should reform that. <laughs> I think, why don't you read the entire thing? Oh, you thing? want me to read yeah. it? Okay. Yeah, and then we can talk about it. So, um, I'll continue. We deserve punishment for our original sin, and Jesus takes that punishment so we can be free. What if we focus original sin just slightly differently as original separation? God creates us good, and we humans have great potential, but are separated from that ideal, that good and holy life. By sin, yes, but also by apathy, shallowness, our wounds, pain, grief, anxiety, and fear. Is not the human predicament in the 21st century more a sense of alienation and inadequacy than an overwhelming feeling that we are sinful? Why can't the church then proclaim a Jesus Christ who invites us and empowers us to live into our fullest potential, the potential God desires for us? I wrote that as the very first of my statements to be considered because I think many people who are involved in the Christian 
Christian church start from this doctrine of original sin. Yes. That we're bad, yes. that we're evil, yes. and the solution to that <laughs> is that Jesus dies for our punishment. We deserve punishment. Yes. And so Jesus takes our punishment. Yes. And so if we believe Jesus is the Son of God and took our punishment, then we get to go to heaven after we die. Only if we believe that. Only if, that's right. That's the deal. That's the deal. That's right. the deal. But I am not a good person. Well, nobody is. Nobody is a <laughs> well, good person. Well, that's right. It's Everybody is bad. Yeah. So I, I see that as the deal out there. And I've always wondered about that, yes. even to the point of when I was in junior high. I thought to myself, well, Jesus wants to punish us. And instead of punishing us, punishes Jesus. So my picture was God <laughs> up there kind of wringing his hands and kind of eager to see this punishment happen. And it's huh. like, wow, that doesn't seem like a nice, generous, loving God well, and to I me. I always thought of babies, right? Because, mm. you know, you always go to the innocent and being like, what? How, that doesn't make any sense at yeah. all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no. Because so, yes, as a 10-year-old, I could have maybe done terrible things, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> It also doesn't strike me as the best plan. I'm going to take human form live and then have my it simply isn't a very good plan of revenge so you're questioning god right here i sure am oh, we're, gonna, we're gonna do an episode on doubt you'll get well, it then daniel i just i just don't understand how i'm being punished by that we're being prevented from eternal punishment by jesus taking that and overcoming the powers of evil and we trust jesus to carry us on jesus coattails up to heaven but that whole deal and that whole premise of I am originally sinful is what I'm challenging here. Mm -hmm. Now, Rebecca, when you said, you know, a baby is innocent or a 10-year-old may have done something wrong, mm. what you're talking about is not original sin. Right. No. We get original sin mixed up with sins with a small s, things right. we the do that The bucket of badness as we go mm -hmm. listen to podcasts Original about sin. sin has to do with our original state, who we are and our basic nature. And mm. we're born separated from God. I tend to not believe that anymore. Instead, as I observe human nature, I see a dual sense of human nature. I see in people the tremendous capacity for evil. I see where the doctrine of original sin can get started. You just take a look at 1930s Germany. That's right. You take a look at Hitler and what happened there and you go, there is a capacity in human nature for infinite evil. Yes. But there's also the capacity in human nature for infinite good. Mm. And that's where I start coming up with this, this separation business. That I think that we are created not only as people with original sin, but people with original blessing. Mm. That God has somehow implanted, I think, in every human being, desire a sense for the way life ought to be the way the world ought to be the way humans ought to be i think people have a sense that there should be justice and peace people ought to get along that there there should be kindness and the compassion. lion will lay with the lamb all of that business right. that's in every single yes. person and yet we can't quite get there yes and, and that to me is what we should be focusing on not in our original badness but our original separation from the dream is like Martin Luther King Jr. I have a dream. Mm -hmm. We all have that dream, but we can't quite step into the dream. Did you ever watch um, the, uh, oh, what's the name of that movie with uh, 
the Holy Grail and uh, Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. Indiana yeah. Jones. And the Holy Grail. I think it's the Holy Grail. Yeah, I think that's um, the one. There's mm-hmm. a scene in there where he's standing on a cliff, and there's a big chasm between him and the Holy Grail. And it's like really deep, really, really deep. And he's got this book, which is his map book, but it, I mean, the symbolism of it's the Bible. And it says, just step off. Mm. Just step into the nothingness, mm. trust. Mm-hmm. And so he just kind of closes his eyes, takes this big step. And instead of falling, he's on this invisible ledge that takes him across to the Holy Grail. You're sounding a little Oprah-esque. Yeah, yeah, this is exactly right. Yeah, just like Oprah, Harrison Ford. And so on. But I want to challenge here a little bit. A lot of Christians would say, just trust in the Lord and it's all going to be fine or it'll all be well and so on. And I I don't know if that's the same thing as what we're talking about here. Not quite, but let me take you back to the, the story with Harrison Ford. Okay. So the reason I bring that up is not that he has so much trust. In, in the reality is that there was a bridge there between the dream. Interesting, right. It was invisible. He couldn't quite see it. There mm-hmm. was a bridge between the dream where the Holy Grail was and where Harrison Ford was. So as I've thought about that over the years, I thought that's really what God is doing in Jesus. Instead of Jesus being sent to be someone a stand-in, to be punished on our behalf, Instead, Jesus was like a bridge. Jesus was God's way of bridging the gap from the thing we dream about, justice and peace and kindness and compassion and good and and wonderful world. It's like Jesus came to show us that world and becomes the bridge to show us how we can live into that dream. Um, And that, to me, is, is what we should be talking about in the church instead of how to deal with our sinfulness how to empower our dreams, to trust the dream is real, and to trust that Jesus is the bridge to that dream. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. why I bring that all up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a fundamental starting point for faith and religion itself, is what's our problem? What's the problem? And throughout history, the problem for Christianity is that we're bad people, and we deserve punishment, and Jesus takes our punishment, and then we can go to heaven if we believe Jesus took our punishment. Mm-hmm. That's not really what I believe anymore. I believe we are in a situation where we know what's right. Mm-hmm. We have a dream for a better world, but we don't know how to get there. We're but separated. what is, I, yeah, what is standing in our way? I mean, some people would say, well, that's sin. That's the evilness. Yes, yes. If you want to say sin, separation, evil stands in our way. And that's the other side of human nature, which is ultimate evil. So I'm not totally jettisoning original sin. I would just like to combine it with original blessing Mm -hmm. that we have within us, as I said earlier, the infinite capacity for evil and the infinite capacity for good. And I think Jesus bridges to the capacity for good. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I, I feel like you really touched on the second one that you listed here in your thesis, atonement. I think you've talked about this a lot. We propose to put less emphasis on Jesus' death as sacrifice, ransom, or even redemption, instead choosing to focus on his identification with the human condition even to the point of death. Jesus joins us in the human condition of alienation, separation, and death. And in joining, we find salvation. We are not alone. 
we have a God who does not remain safely above and beyond our pain, but rather takes the ultimate risk of joining us. Such is the understanding of God which motivates us to follow and emulate. And I propose that as a second of the theses out of experience in the world. And I suspect you too and our listeners all have had moments in life where someone has been with you in the worst moment, that you were not alone. And that moment, there is something holy and wonderful and pure. And I say the word salvific because the word salvation really is rooted in the word which means healing. Um, salve, we use a salve. So salvation is healing. And when someone's with you in your ultimate pain and sorrow and woundedness, there's a certain healing that takes place. And let me try to understand this correctly. Even if you die, I have seen salvation in the sense of healing in hospice, where families have surrounded the loved one with such grace and kindness and love that it becomes holy. It transcends life itself. It is it is salvation, their salvation for you. And I think that's what God does in Jesus, is that God chooses to come with us, even to sit in hospice with us, get into the hospice bed with us, and die with us. And to me, that's the power of God in Jesus, not some judge up there who demands that our punishment be um, death and Jesus takes our death. It is God who loves us so much, like someone who gets into our hospice bed. Mm. Yeah, well, that brings up the third one um, in salvation. I think you're kind of blending these together, but it's so great. I'm going to read it. It says, it is time we redefined salvation. We've always taught that salvation means going to heaven after we die, but it is more than that. It is also living as people who have been healed, made whole, and are at peace with ourselves, our God, and one another. The root of the word salvation is the root salve, and it salve heals wounds, which you had said. If we are wounded today, if we are anxious, lonely, grieving, shallow, materialistic, sinful, or judgmental, then salvation is the healing of these wounds to the soul. I think that, uh, well, why don't you talk a little bit about this? Healing of the soul. Healing of the soul. Right now, Being as one. we are, are talking, there is great discussion in our world about white supremacy and talk of against immigrants, people who are uh, other. 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 <laughs> other. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just anything and, other. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking of the people who perpetrate, perpetrate such language and behavior and the woundedness in their own soul yes. that causes them to want to be supreme or above. Needing or to be. Needing. And mm -hmm. there is a, a, a brokenness and a woundedness there that is being acted out in the most negative ways. I always feel like it's such a fear, you know, I mean, the brokenness and woundedness, but I see in people who are saying these things, I just see plain fear. Well, that was maybe mentioned in that thesis, mm -hmm. that fear is one of the things in need of healing in mm -hmm. our world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that begins early. Yes. You know, there must be something early in life that causes people to be so angry at others. And how can we as a society begin healing the fear, the wounds, the bigotry, the white supremacy early on. Mm. And I think it has to do with attentiveness to each and every person 
every person who gets left out, how many people who commit mass murders are kids who have been ostracized or somehow uh, put on the fringe. Something how, happened, my goodness. Something happened. Mm -hmm. How can we build a family, a society, a church, a country, world, where nobody gets left out? Uh, so we don't end up in the situation where we are you know, fearful of people different from ourselves. But didn't you just say that Jesus is the bridge to that? Like, that's the ideal. Jesus was someone who always reached out to the people on the fringe. Always, always, always. He built his movement through people on the fringe. And I think the next Christian big movement will not be through, you know, the, the privileged white people in the suburbs, but through people who live in tents, people who live under bridges, people who are wounded, people who have a deeper insight into the nature of compassion and kindness than people who have a huge retirement account. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You want to read the next one? Uh, we're on to doctrine. It is time we put less emphasis on doctrine. We have always defined Christians as people who believe in Jesus is the Son of God and was crucified and then raised from the dead. If you believe that doctrine about Jesus, then you are a Christian. Belief then becomes an exercise of the intellect, the mind, and Christianity is defined by what we think about Jesus. Jesus, however, invited us to much more than that proper thinking about doctrine. What if we reclaimed the original meaning of the Greek word for belief? It really means to trust, to follow, to go with. When Jesus says, believe in me, he means trust me, come with me, follow where I lead you. To be Christian means you walk in the way of Christ in fact, the earliest people to follow Jesus were not called Christians. They were called people of the way. Yeah, so what I'm trying to do with these theses is start with um, the foundation, the original mm -hmm. sin, mm -hmm. challenge to be also original blessing. And then what ramifications does that have? Who is Jesus in the midst of that predicament of mm -hmm. original sin, original separation? And then how does that look um, in the world as we live it? Well, the first step is to challenge our definition of Christian. Um, and we define Christian as a set of intellectual beliefs. Right. And my suggestion is that we define Christianity more as a path in life, a way to be in the world, a way to relate to one another and see Jesus as an example of that. Ultimately, it comes down to the word compassion, which is a Latin word, uh, composite word, which means passion means to suffer. C-O-M, the prefix, means with, to suffer with. Mm. The, the example mm. of the hospice I gave you a moment ago. Mm -hmm. If God does that for us, goes into our woundedness and our pain, then we do that with one another. Yes. Isn't that a much more powerful way to define our movement than a set of doctrines to believe in? Mm -hmm. To me, that's what Jesus was doing in those first three, you know, in, in the first years of his life and then the Jesus movement for the next 300 years. So do you believe that Jesus, because um, some people say, oh, well, Jesus is a, a biblical example of how we should live. Is, does that define? Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's not just an example. There are many examples. I mean, Mahatma Gandhi is an example. I mean, there are all kinds of examples of how we should live. But in my Christian belief, Jesus is an example of God doing that. Mm. So it's not just Jesus is a great man. He wasn't just man. a man doing these yeah, things. Yeah, you could maybe anticipate that I might be letting go of my understanding of Jesus, God, God, Jesus, but I'm not. Mm. I have to maintain that because that's my understanding of God, is that God does this. Mm. God is the one who shows us this example. God also shows the example through 
Mahatma Gandhi and through Martin Luther King Jr. and many other great people who've shown us kindness and compassion, but their examples are critiqued, are normed by the example of who Jesus was uh, in the world. That's my my belief. Other people have other ways of approaching it, other ways of understanding Jesus, um, but my primarily understand Jesus not as just an example, but as God's way of being with us. Mm. We're going to do this next one. Should I read or you? Here, I'll read this one. We have always defined evangelism as converting people to become members of our churches. Oh, this is a good one for me. <laughs> people do try to do this to me all the time. We have even evangelized people from one Christian denomination to become members of another Christian denomination. What if we reclaim the original meaning of the meaning of the word evangelism for the 21st century? It means to share the good news of God's unconditional love in Jesus Christ. It means to love other people and to receive love from other people. Sharing is both directions. What if we came to understand that God is already working in the lives of people we consider outside the church, people we consider lost? What if we went out into the world expecting to meet Jesus? How might that change our attitude toward people different from ourselves? How might that inspire us to respect and discover God at work through people of other religious traditions or even the secular tradition? Okay. So this goes into a listener question. Should we bring that in? Yeah. So um, our listener Jennifer asks, why is it considered um, the only way to heaven by Christians? Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Is everyone else going to hell? It's awfully insulting to say the least to so many other religions with rich history and tradition, people of other faiths or no faith who have lived infinitely better lives than mine. They're out just because they weren't part of the Jesus Club of Believers. Yeah. 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 I have a lot to say to that. Yeah. A lot to say. I think that's a very fundamental question that people come to early on if they're if they have been raised in a religion. And early on, if they haven't, like, what about everybody else? Well, it gets right back to the deal I talked about earlier. Right. That deal is <laughs> that you believe Jesus died for your sins, took your punishment. You believe that, you get to go to heaven. Other people who don't believe that right. go the other go way. The other way. So that, that theology divides the world into lost and saved. Right. It's like, it's like drawing a line in the sand. And there are some people on one side of that line, mm-hmm. other people on the other side of the line. Right. And you've got to choose. You better choose to come on this side of the line so you can go to heaven after you die. Yes. Those other people, they're not part Fire of it. They down. are, quote, left out. Left behind. Left yes. behind. Uh-huh. Left behind. Very good, very good, very good. Okay. So with the theology that I'm suggesting of a starting point with original blessing and the understanding that God comes to be with us in the midst of our pain, all of our pain. That means God... Anyone's pain. Anyone's pain. That Uh means God comes to the person who's sleeping in the corner of some back alley on First Avenue in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So God is there with that person. And so the whole imagery of a line in the sand, either or, lost, saved, gives way to a huge circle drawn in the sand, a huge circle that surrounds everyone. God is present with everyone in some way. And that gets back to original blessing. 
there is an original blessing with all people. God is present in every single person. How can we then think we've got something more than they do? Mm. So my understanding is I go, and I actually experienced this when I lived in Tent City uh, for uh, a week, mm. uh, well, four days. I lived in Tent City. It was on the east side just to see what it was like. It was very controversial a number of years ago. I went to see what it was like, and I saw a little community that cared about each other, that supported mm. each other. I don't mm. know if all tent cities are like that, but this tent city was at the time. Mm. And so I I thought to myself, well, here's kindness and compassion. This is wonderful. Mm. And it kind of opened my eyes to understand that God's out there ahead of me, ahead mm. of the church, ahead mm. of my ability to convert or to ahead evangelize. Of saviors. You're evangelism. Save everybody. Yeah, mm. evangelism is a word that literally is from the Greek that means good news. And good news to me means to kindly love and care for other people, as well as allowing them to love and care for me. So it evangelism then, in my thesis, is a challenge to look for God speaking to us from people we have historically considered lost or unsaved. That I believe God can speak to us in many different ways. It, in fact, totally redefine what salvation means. Mm. Well, I was just at the airport, and there were people with these little pamphlets, you know, to hand out. And it always makes me think, you don't think I know what you do? Or it makes me feel ostracized, actually. Just their presence there of thinking that they can push something out to me. But what you're saying is that, and God is already there, we don't need to be pushing out information. Although here we are doing a podcast <laughs> about Christianity. Well, so. people need to hear this. And the people in the airport who are pushing at you mm -hmm. frustrate me too. But if we truly adhere to what we're saying, right. we look with kindness yes. with them too and mm -hmm. look for their ultimate motivation is, is good. They want good they want the best but they live in this structure of lost saved the line in the sand kind of theology and mm -hmm. I'm suggesting we change that fundamental theology yeah in fact that brings us right to your next one which is corporate salvation uh, in the 21st century we should put less emphasis on individual salvation and more on corporate salvation Jesus focused not only on the transformation and salvation of individuals but also sought to create transformed communities of people Beginning with his own disciples, Jesus wanted people to live together in peace, harmony, compassion, and justice. How can we do the same? Your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrote that, and I ended it with a question. I'm supposed to respond to that question. How can we do that? Well, it makes me think of the, the old, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Mm -hmm. And it, it seems to be in direct dichotomy with the popular message that we hear, which is that a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God is personal and involves just you and Jesus, just you and God. But this is more about a community. Yes. Well, if the whole goal of religion, of Christianity, is to get you to heaven after you die, then it becomes very personal. You right. go to heaven by yourself. And so that has, and I use the word carefully, in, that has infected Christianity mm. to make it, in some ways, a selfish religion. That, you know, as long as I get myself to heaven, mm -hmm. it kind of absolutely I told you about me. it. I know. I told you about it. it. You didn't want it. Right? You know, <laughs> so I get to go, and you got to stay. It's your fault. Mm. Um to me, that is 
that is not what Jesus was about at all. Although, you know, to the beginning of building a creative corporate community of justice and compassion begins with individuals. It begins with a personal um, encounter, a personal faith, but that gets lived out corporately. That's what the church was meant to be, an example of the way we ought to live together. So today in Christianity, I feel like we're missing that emphasis, that our personal relationship is given way, is taken over completely from our understanding of our corporate relationship with each other and with God. Well, that is tricky because I come from a family that is extremely private. And, you know, this, uh, the challenge is that it smacks of, you mean we have to discuss this stuff with other people, you know? But what I'm hearing is, and to the listeners, it's not necessarily that you have to go out and talk about Jesus with people, but just be compassionate with people. Absolutely. And, this is not trying know, to tell, talk to them about Jesus. It's, it's showing them what Jesus' love looks like. And I suspect that you do that in your neighborhood and within your family, within right. school. I, I would suspect that you live that out. Well, you try. <laughs> and we fail. And, and we fail, we, yeah. yeah. Um, let's go on to the next one is church. We should begin seeing the church as a group of people living together as God would intend. We become a community of reconciliation, service, worship, and mutual support. Too often church membership has been seen as a ticket to get into heaven. This is really interesting because we've talked in the past about the fact that not so many people go to church in our area particularly, um, and that church attendance is way, way down. And we talked a little bit about what millennials um, are looking for in more modern type of church. So tell us what, what your thought was in writing this one. Well, this is... <laughs> more than just a theological challenge. It's a challenge to our entire society. And when I talked about personal relationship has been emphasized in the Christian church, that sense of personal identity merges so easily and completely with the American sense of individualism mm -hmm. and capitalism. Mm -hmm. So in capitalism, you strive like a Darwinian kind of attempt totally. to win and get mm -hmm. more in an individual kind of or way. Or you're going to lose. You want to be a winner, not a loser. Mm -hmm. That is so close to the theology of personal salvation. Mm -hmm. And those two things merge together very well in our society. Mm -hmm. um, we are a society of individuals, and, and we in the Pacific Northwest especially so. And all kinds of gatherings together of people are giving way. We don't have many people who are young joining Kiwanis. We don't have bowling leagues anymore. Right. Softball teams are giving way. We don't associate... There's a lot of online groups. With, <laughs> there are online groups where you don't have to talk to each other. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be interactive close. But there is something in us that wants that, hence the, the group. Mm -hmm. So I'm suggesting here that an important component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to be part of community, mm -hmm. to be relating to one another. And I'm absolutely convinced that deep down inside all of us is a desire to have friends, a desire to have people around us, even though we're all shy. <laughs> In some ways, we all kind of are hesitant to put ourselves out there because we're afraid we'll be rejected. Yeah. And so that hurts too much, so we don't do that. And so I, I, I bring this up in a thesis because I think Jesus would want us to be together 
without having to feel shy or embarrassed or um, threatened with rejection. So are you saying church doesn't have to be a, you know, a pointed steeple building, but it Correct. can be a barbecue yeah, at, yeah, at, yeah. You know, in your backyard yeah, with absolutely. your friends? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so church is totally not a building. Change the nature of yeah, church, church. church is a community of people living out the good news. I think I've felt that at Grateful Dead shows before. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so this next one, inclusive, is all about the kind of church that we should be building. We should emphasize in the 21st century the most important priority of Jesus' ministry, to include those who are left out. Jesus always sought to include people in his society who were marginalized. Sadly, our society often views Christianity as, prof as a profoundly exclusive religion. In our mission statement, we use the word inclusive. And that means we too welcome people our society often marginalizes. We are a reconciling in Christ church. We regularly hold Sundays honoring people uh, with disabilities and host Tent City. Uh, and I would add my own little asterisk that reconciling in Christ church is churchy language for the fact that we're open and affirming to members of the LGBTQIA community. Got it. Um... Yeah, I think that this is also, you know, and the fundamentally, as you've been saying the, about the line in the sand and um, what what pops out to me here is that sadly, our society often views Christianity as profoundly exclusive. And so absolutely, I mean, and we have touched on this before. I do not tell people that I associate with a Christian faith, you know, surely first thing, you know, because they're going to get this idea in their head that is an evangelical, you know, line in the sand idea. And I don't want them to think that I have those thoughts at all. Um, so we have a little bit more to go here. Well, me, I want you, I want you I'm going to let okay. you comment on that. I just was looking. So we have three more. Okay. okay. Please give us your. So on um, the uh, welcoming of people who are on the fringes um, and being open to LGBTQI folk um, has been part of this church for over 20 years. And you, the listener, already have your opinion about whether that's right or wrong. Uh, to those of you who think it's wrong uh, that we do this, I would invite you to consider people you may know who are of that community. And I have this deep suspicion that those people that you personally know and maybe have a friendship with are a bit of an exception to your idea of the entire group. Um, that you can, we can label an entire group a certain way, but then the per people we know individually or who are members of our own family, there's an exception there. Mm -hmm. And I would also challenge you to consider the theology we've been talking about so far, that Jesus is open to people who are wounded, people who have been mistreated, who have been left out, and Jesus goes with them. And I would suggest to you that Jesus' calling for you would be to go with those people, not simply to change them or their orientation, but to love them and see how God can speak to you through them. Those of you who agree with this, this is something we need to get out into the world more, that there are many Christians who welcome people of the Rainbow Coalition. And you need to speak about this and say this is part of the Christian movement is exactly what Jesus would do. We should not be shy about that. And we might do an entire podcast on why we have become open and affirming as a yes. congregation. So let's I know move, you let's get move the on to three your last three here. Um, Jesus in the Bible. Jesus is more important than the Bible. Martin Luther taught, and we should reclaim 
the idea that the message and person of Jesus Christ should critique and challenge the obscure passages in the Bible that contradict the gospel. Luther said the gospel should critique the Bible. Hmm. Talk about the gospel. Preach. Preacher. <laughs> One of the illustrations that Martin Luther gave was that the Bible is like the manger. Uh -huh. The manger may have had boards that were a little crooked or nails that were a little bit rusty, but the manger held the message, the Christ child. And the Bible's like that. The Bible may not be literally perfect. In fact, it's definitely not. If you read the Bible, you know there's many there are many contradictions and many errors. Yet, it contains... How dare you? It contains... How dare you, Pastor Mike? <laughs> that is controversial. No, it's not. It's well, obvious. I don't think so, there's but nothing... there are many people come to my door and say otherwise. Yeah, well, they haven't read the Bible. Mm. I mean, those of you who claim that the Bible is completely inerrant, read it carefully, and you will see many contradictions. Um, I have two master's degrees. I learned Greek and Hebrew, and you know there are spelling errors in the ancient texts. <laughs> I mean, so I mean there are it's errors, inspired but what? From and God. It's, but I say it's inspired by God, mm -hmm. and that God's message is in this fallible object, mm -hmm. the Bible. It's like the manger, but it contains the gospel, and the gospel needs to critique the passages where God commands His soldiers to dash the brains out of little children. So you tell me, uh, mm. person who is literal, is that what God would want us to do? Mm. And, you know, obviously not. So the gospel critiques When you say the gospel, the you mean the four books? No, no, no. The gospel, oh. what I mean by that is the good news of Jesus. The whole mm. theology I've described to you, a Jesus who is concerned about the people on the fringe, the God who chooses to go into our woundedness and into our pain, the God who is pure love and generosity and kindness and compassion, that needs to critique the scriptures because mm -hmm. that's the message the scriptures bear witness to. I like to see it as you read the Bible and there's this wonderful thread of good news of this wonderful God who loves us so much winding its way through the accretions, <laughs> through, the, through the errors, through the, the contradictions, mm -hmm. and yet through it all there's this wonderful thread of good news. And it's that thread which critiques the contradictions and the errors mm. and the, the things that, you know, in some ways do not make sense. Mm. I like it. And number nine, we have reclaim true Sabbath. In the 21st century, we should reclaim Sabbath time as more than just time off, but as time for spiritual renewal. We live in a world running on a treadmill to produce and consume material goods. Every so often we should step off that treadmill, not simply for times of indulgence or distraction, but to renew our spirits. We should let Sabbath be a time for nurturing our souls through the arts, relationships, reading, study, reflection, simplicity, playfulness, exercise, laughter, and prayer. Yeah, I really like this. Um, my husband and I were talking once. He's not a big fan of coming to the church with the steeple kind of thing. But one of the things that he said, though, one time was he's like, you know, everything stops here when I am here, when I'm at church. And people are not expecting or looking at me the way in normal life hmm. it's like a break hmm. from this life and i was like isn't that kind of backwards shouldn't it be i mean we shouldn't have a break and then go back to like this rat race capitalist life you know we should take that through and that's the whole point you know is to come and get revitalized or fill up to take into the world 
Wow, that's marvelous that he said that. Yeah, that's yeah. That's just what we want to create here is a little example of the way the world should be. We see it profoundly in our confirmation program where junior high students come here every Wednesday night. They come from like 10 different junior highs and they come here without their labels. Yeah, without the rat race. Talk about oh, middle school. Middle Yeesh. school rat race. They come without all that stuff that's laid on them by our society. And they come just as they are and they don't have to compete to be part of a certain group. Yes. They can simply be, and that's what I mean by Sabbath, that we can simply be, we don't have to compete. I, I'm a capitalist, I believe in capitalism, I believe in working hard, I believe in competition. Yes. But I also believe that we need to step off that and live in cooperation and complete acceptance. Our, our society has, a, has done a great job emphasizing body-mind. You've heard the phrase body-mind-spirit. Body, body mind, spirit. Mind, spirit, totally. We do great with mm -hmm. body. I mean, look at all of the... Oh you know, my God. Mm -hmm. Different sports teams our kids are on. Body, mind, mm -hmm. we do great with our education. But spirit, to be balanced is to take Sabbath, to allow ourselves to let our spirit renew. And that's just not church. It's, you know, mm -hmm. on the top of a mountain looking at the sunset and going, ah, mm -hmm. wow. Mm -hmm. And that's a renewal of one's spirit. Or, you know, serving a meal at a homeless shelter. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a sense that you family. will renew. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. sorry, that's what I meant by Sabbath. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. I really like that. And I also want to say for anybody who might be in the Midwest, sometimes I would just go out into the fields and listen to the birds, you know. Feel the dreams. You don't have to be, feel the dreams. You don't have to be near mountains. Um, tithing. Oh, interesting. Tithing has been defined as giving back to the church to pay the bills of the church. But in the 21st century, we should celebrate the joy of giving. Properly understood, tithing or giving things away is a reminder to us that we really don't own anything in this world. Very Native American of you. <laughs> when our possessions become our security, it is time to give some of them away to refocus on God as our ultimate security. And as a bonus, in the process of giving, we find our deepest joy. So first, what's tithing? Oh, the word tithing is, means a tenth. So in scripture, as a way to remind ourselves that we belong to God, God invites us to give back 10% of all that we bring in, or the first fruits of the orchard or the fields, mm. or the firstborn of the um, Calf lambs, the sheep, mm -hmm. etc. Come back to God as a way not to pay the bills of the temple or the churches, but to remind ourselves that everything of who we are is of God, and we don't own anything. So I bring that up kind of as my last point because it's so critical for our American culture. Uh, we're the richest society, the richest country that has ever been on the planet. And yet almost all of us live out of a sense of scarcity. Yes. We are all fear. living fear. We never have enough. We're never secure. But let's be fair. A lot of people don't are fearful because they they don't have resources in this time of inequity especially yes, exactly. we have people who don't have enough to eat they don't have shelter over their heads or they don't um, know where their next meal will come from and don't know where their next meal is coming from and partly that is the result of other folks 
living yes. in this sense of scarcity where they have to have more. A billion which, dollars isn't quite enough. Which causes other people <laughs> really to have less. Resources yes. are devoted to our sense of scarcity and it, it robs others of their sense of just um, food for the day. Mm. So that's why I wrote that. It's wow, really well, that was super powerful. I wanted to definitely give as much time as we need that. And I know we could go into more and in, more in depth, but um, thesis is for the 21st century. Um, thank you, Pastor Mike, for explaining those. Uh, listeners, tell us your thoughts on this, questions that may have come up. Um, we'll provide all the answers. <laughs> Thanks for listening.